Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, April 14th. Coming up, how immigration advocates in Kansas are reacting to a surprise decision from Governor Laura Kelly. Because she respects local control. Right. But will now do it for Wyandotte County, (laughs) for the state, and for the immigrant community. We're always last. We'll hear more about a new law banning local governments from taking certain measures intended to help undocumented immigrants. But first, some headlines. The Kansas City Police Department has identified 14-year-old Manuel Guzman as the student who died Tuesday after he was stabbed at Northeast Middle School. KCUR's Jody Fortino reports. Officers said the suspect, another student who was taken into custody on Tuesday, has been charged with first-degree murder, armed criminal action, and unlawful use of a weapon in Jackson County Juvenile Court. Because he was charged as a juvenile, his identity was not disclosed. Officers on Tuesday found Guzman with stab wounds inside a school bathroom. Kansas City Public Schools Superintendent Mark Bedell told parents that additional security and counseling services would be in place on campus when students and staff returned on Wednesday. Kansas City Police Chief Rick Smith says the decision to disband the department's missing persons cold case unit is a temporary change to deal with low staffing numbers at the department. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal has more. Smith told KCMO Talk Radio host Pete Mundo that investigators in the missing persons unit are working on recent homicides or shootings. As a result, officers will not proactively go through cold cases, but detectives will follow up on tips. But no one will be just pulling a cold case file and say, what can I do on this today? We probably won't have time for that. With, you know, numerous homicides in a 24-hour period, these are very labor-intensive. Smith's decision was criticized by Mayor Quinton Lucas, who called it a disservice to victims' families and to the city council, which approved the KCPD's budget last month. The Missouri Attorney General has refiled charges against three men involved in the sinking of a tour boat on Table Rock Lake in 2018. Steve Vakrat reports the charges come days after a Missouri judge tossed out a previously filed case. Seventeen people died when a strong storm battered a duck boat that had just started a sightseeing tour on the lake. The captain, Kenneth McKee, and two others were accused of putting profits ahead of passenger safety. Their attorneys have argued that while the sinking was a tragedy, it didn't rise to the level of a crime. Judges dismissed two previous attempts to bring criminal charges against those three men. Just last week, one of the judges ruled that there was not enough evidence that a crime had occurred. But now Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who is running for the U.S. Senate, has refiled the charges. Attorneys for the defendant say they are disappointed in that decision. A COVID-19 variant that's causing surges in the northeast U.S. has become dominant in the Kansas City area, but cases here remain low. Three out of four new COVID cases in the Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, and Nebraska region are the more contagious BA2 variant. However, infections in the Kansas City area have not increased. The metro area is now reporting about 52 new cases and 55 new COVID hospitalizations per day. Data about the virus is more limited now, which could make Make tracking trends more difficult. Just 700 COVID tests are being administered in the Kansas City area each day. That's the lowest rate in two years and below recommended levels for public health surveillance. 
Missouri's expanded Medicaid program saw a big jump in enrollment last week, but little has been done to fix the state's enormous backlog of applications. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. Nearly 19,000 people were enrolled in Missouri's expanded Medicaid program last week. State officials say this is due in large part to current enrollees in other Medicaid programs being moved into the expansion group. During the last several months, Missouri has enrolled less than 2,500 people each week in the expanded program, and there's a backlog of 70,000 signups waiting to be processed. It's taken Missouri more than 90 days on average to process each Medicaid application, far beyond what federal law allows. State officials blamed the slowdown on COVID cases, but critics say the state is doing little to improve the process. In what some called a surprising move this week, Democratic Kansas Governor Laura Kelly signed a bill banning so-called sanctuary cities. The legislation was a response to Wyandotte County's Safe and Welcoming City Act, which stopped local law enforcement from helping federal officials conduct immigration raids and allowed undocumented residents to get municipal ID cards. Now, immigration advocates in Kansas say they feel betrayed. On KCUR's Up to Date, Steve Kraske spoke to Carla Juarez, executive director of Kansas City, Kansas-based Advocates for Immigrant Rights and Reconciliation. He also talked to Washburn University political science professor Bob Beatty about the political implications of Kelly's decision. Here's an excerpt of their conversation. You know, you can't be too happy with a governor right now, Carla. What was your reaction to this decision to sign this bill? I cried. Hmm. We were hopeful. We, um, I myself personally remained hopeful that she would veto the bill and stand with what is right um, because vetoing the bill would have sent a strong message and um, signing the bill also sent a strong message. The governor's argument, as I mentioned, is, is that this is a matter for the federal government to deal with, not local governments. Does she have a point? In a sense, um, federal comprehensive immigration reform rests on the federal government, but this ordinance, the Safe and Welcoming City Act, was very misunderstood by Kansas legislatures and also Governor Kelly. This um, ordinance did not give anybody extra benefits or was not a reform. It was just to make Kansas safer, honestly. And in in that sense, you're saying that it would help those who are here illegally, maybe not worry that they were about to be uh, sent away overnight. Yes, it would have protected undocumented individuals from reporting a crime that they have had been victims of. So this essentially set guidelines that the police would not ask for immigration status when someone is reporting a crime. Hmm. And that would have made a big difference for many of those folks. Very big difference. Let's take this bill in pieces, Carla. One part of it provided for these uh, ID cards for local residents. Why were those seen as important? The ID cards, again, were not just for undocumented community. It was for elderly, people aging out of the foster care system. The importance in our goal always had been for individuals to have an ID card to identify themselves for basic things. Everybody um, needs an ID card to enroll their children in school, pick up their children from school. They're basic uh, prescription medications that require an ID sometimes. And for those who are here illegally, getting a proper ID was always a challenge. Always. Undocumented individuals, of course, we all know, cannot obtain driver's licenses. This was never meant to give them driving privileges. 
Um, the Mexican consulate is probably the only local consulate from like Latin America. We have the consulate from Honduras and Guatemala and other cities. So it was difficult for individuals to make the drive when they're working every single day. The other part of this legislation that proved so controversial was aimed at local law enforcement. It blocked local police from cooperating with Immigration and Customs Enforcement Authorities, ICE, except when public safety was threatened. Why was this seen as important for the immigrant community? Big parts and the most important parts of the Safe and Welcoming City Act, as far as the guidelines between the police and ICE are going away because of this bill. Mm-hmm. And again, it is important to report crime. It all, it's also important for economy, really. You have mixed status families, which means at least one individual is undocumented. When this fear is being created around the state, it could cause individuals to leave. And it really will increase the current labor shortage. You know, the the argument here is that some of these immigrants in this country are here illegally, and here we are making accommodations for them. You hear that complaint from from lawmakers. What about that part of it? Again, extremely misunderstood. We know that individuals coming to the port of entry in our southern border are doing it the right way. Like we've been always hearing, why don't you do it the right way? It is international immigration law that when you come to the port of entry, you can seek asylum. Individuals are being released into the United States after being held in um, detention at the border. Now, individuals waiting for their asylum cases, oftentimes they get released and they get a master hearing a year after. They are undocumented, but they're waiting for their case. Really, individuals need to understand immigration law, which it's very complicated and you don't understand it unless you're an attorney or someone like me who's lived the experience. What are you hearing from residents of Wyandotte County, Carla, in the wake of the governor's decision here? Sadness more than anything, um, anger, worry, scared. She just didn't stand with us. And again, Governor Kelly will veto a bill that would ban plastic bags. She says local control because she respects local control. Right. But will now do it for Wyandotte County. (laughs) Yeah. for the state and for the immigrant community. We're always last. Well, let me bring in uh, Bob Beatty to our conversation. He's a political scientist over at Washburn University. How surprised were you by the governor's decision here? I wasn't terribly surprised. We saw hmm. what Governor Kelly did in November uh, with the special session regarding mask mandates. And um, for good or ill, uh, I've been studying Kansas politics for more than 20 years, and it's math. If she's a Democratic governor in a Republican state, this would happen in the opposite situation, possibly a Republican governor in a Democratic state. And again, it's simple math. Keep in mind that not you're, even say, you're saying simple math, Bob, meaning what? Well, <laughs> she was elected to only 25 percent of all uh, registered voters are Democrats. She can't, simply cannot win re-election with Democrats. And I understand that uh, I'm not saying it's correct. I'm just saying the pure politics of it, Steve, are you can't. Uh, she was elected by a coalition of independents, uh, Republicans and Democrats. And if an issue is seen as by some or many in that coalition as a very very, very only a democratic issue, um, that's going to, you know, tick off possibly a majority of the people who voted for her. Hmm. And that's 
But help me here, Bob. She carried Wyandotte County 67 to 25% four years ago. I took a look, and she had signaled mm-hmm. that she was going to veto the bill. What do you think were some of her other political calculations that went into this, uh, into this act? I don't know if it's political. I, I just What I say is that when she, if we take her at her word, which is when she was elected or when she ran for governor and then she was elected, she said, um, you know, I'm going to be a governor for everybody. And what she was saying is, is that she would not be, she was implying she wouldn't be a governor of possibly arguing previous Kansas governors who were seen as governors for only maybe a section of the right. And that's why moderate Republicans you know, voted for her. If there are issues in which there's, it's pretty clear, maybe, that the majority, maybe even a vast majority of all Kansans are not for that issue, even if she is, then she's holding the, the kind of governor she said she would be. And the other is simply pure re-election, which is, yeah, Wyandotte County is very, very important to her re-election, but um, the entire coalition is also really important. Well, you just heard Carla Juarez here uh, explain that she thinks this action has cost the governor a lot of support in Wyandotte County. Uh, to what extent does this undermine her prospects in, in, that, in that county? Oh, I'm, I'm sure it does. That's, again, that's the challenge of a Democratic governor in Kansas in a, in a Republican state. It's, it's nonstop. A, a, can, a Democrat, Democratic governor in Kansas doesn't have the luxury to uh, do everything that its base wants it to do. It has, uh, you know, she has to pick her spot, uh, and if they uh, possibly could cost her cost her reelection, then she has to simply make the argument: okay, don't vote for me. Um, enjoy four years of, you know, Sam Brownback or Derek Schmidt or whatever, or Chris Kobach, whatever. That's that's the counter, and a vote individual voter has to decide that. Am I so angry that I'd rather have? Um, four years of the Republican governor. That was Carla Juarez, Bob Beatty, and KCUR's Steve Kraske on Up to Date. You can find the rest of this conversation at kcur.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org. If you like our show, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.